Hey ladies and gents and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. As always, I'm joined by Jordan. How's it going, Jordan? Hello, Jared. <laughs> oh god. Haunting my nightmares. That's a nightmare feel right there. And uh, Dom, how's it going, Dom? Oh, hi, Jared. <laughs> oh, good. I'm a little I'm a little aroused. I'm just gonna be honest with you. <laughs> um, yeah, so episode twenty nine, another week, another podcast. Uh as I, I'm in the Jordan boat a little bit this week, as he's been in the last couple of weeks not really been playing video games. I played maybe an hour at most of video games in total. Uh, I played a couple of matches of Overwatch, and I played a little bit more of Final Station. Um, I actually got into the For Honor Alpha. You guys are familiar with For Ooh. Honor, the Ubisoft combat game. Um, I haven't been able to play it yet. I was editing and doing some stuff earlier today, um, but I'm going to jump into that as soon as we're done with the podcast. Yeah, that's working. A couple of my friends have already played it, and they were talking about on uh, on in our group chat of like how good it was and how fluid it felt, so I'm super excited. also saw some clips that were shared like on the Xbox Hub thing of them killing some people. It uh, looks really cool. Um, the flow of fighting looks really interesting, too. Uh, one of my friend's clips, he's a samurai, and he, they were going up against the Viking class, and he was like really low on health, so he, he tac tactically retreated. And he had two teammates come out of nowhere to help him. The guy was chasing him down because he was, like, at no health. And they turned the tides and absolutely destroyed the, that guy. He thought he had an easy kill, obviously. And then, you know, the tides turned. It was from 1 to 1 to 3 to 1, and he lost. So it was pretty cool. Um, like I said, I'll have more impressions next week and actually get my hands on the game. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I didn't really play any video games. I didn't watch anything of note except for a ton of American football. Uh, Sunday I watched football all day. Monday I watched football all day. Yeah, I didn't really play too many video games. Hopefully that'll change next week. But what about you guys? Well, would you believe it, Jared? I didn't touch a single game this week either. Wow, three I, weeks uh, running. <laughs> yeah, maybe even a little more than that. It, it, we're pushing a month now. Oh, yeah, because so. you weren't actually on one of the episodes. It was a fireside right. groove with, with Dom. So. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't I didn't touch anything during that time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not that I'm like, ew, video games. It's just that they're not uh, popping up when I'm like got some free time and I'm trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Um, I watched the first episode of Netflix's The Get Down. Um, I heard that's really good. I am not super hot on it, man. Oh, it's, wow. Yeah. It's pretty rough. It's got, um, for me, it had some really big tonal issues. Like, it'll just be like super, super goofy, funky 70s vibe, almost like black exploitation, and then switch wide over to like super serious like people are crying and stuff and it's almost like they don't i don't think they transition well enough uh between the like overly overly goofy parts and the super serious parts to where you're not kind of like laughing at people when they're crying in a sense you know is it more um, like art over substance kind of thing like they're just trying to like do a lot of different things as opposed to making it like cohesive Maybe. That's kind of what Boz Lerman is known for. He's the one that's uh, directing this. He's usually done films. Oh. Um, yeah, he did, oh. like, Moulin Rouge. Um, Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby, yeah, stuff like that. Romeo so, and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, so he is almost kind of known for style over substance. Um, but this is just, like, the tone is so jarring that it's just not enjoyable. I mean, like, um, there's some historical... Like, it's supposed to be a historical series, and yet... Like about the the creation of hip hop, and yet I was reading this article on Slate, really well written. I wish I had remembered the author, but he was just uh, highlighting all these historical inaccuracies that they have. That is like where the the show is based off of. Um, so that that's kind of annoying as well. It's it's rough right now. I still just haven't even touched the second episode just because it kind of left a really bad taste in my mouth. So um, 
We got that, Luke Cage later this month on Netflix, though. To exactly. Order, so, so I was hoping that that would bridge me from um, Stranger Things to Luke Cage, but it just kind of didn't work out that way. So I am very excited for Luke Cage. Um, I think I've shouted out uh, Donald Glover's uh, Atlanta on FX last, last week. You can actually watch the first uh, episode on their Facebook page. And it's available for well. anybody to watch, yep. On which YouTube. is awesome. Uh, so. so that show is amazing. Um, they aired the first two episodes, and then the uh, third and fourth episodes actually leaked online. Um, I may have acquired those uh, somehow, and uh, I can say that this show is absolutely incredible. I can't wait to see where the first season goes. Um, as well as, also on FX, uh, Better Things, starring Pamela Adlon, who was a uh, frequent guest star on Louie. Um, and so she and Louis C.K. have uh, executive produced and written this show, and uh, she stars in it, and it's really, really good, too, just the first episode. Um, also watched uh, Son of Zorn. Have you guys seen this? Yeah, it's uh, like the live-action cartoon mix show. It looks... Yeah. Looks really weird. I'm not. It really looks goofy. It, it 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 looks very goofy. It's got uh, Jason Sudeikis, Cheryl Hines, and Tim Meadows. And Jason Sudeikis plays Zorn, who's basically like He Man uh, from He Man and the Masters of the Universe. And he is animated, and everybody else is live action. And uh, it's funny as hell, man. It is a really good show. Um, I cannot wait for more of that as well. Um, so it seems like TV. it's it seems like it's for people who like Archer. I personally didn't really like Archer that much, and it seems like that might be kind of the same audience. I am not a huge fan of Archer as well. I think Archer is funny. Like I can give Archer some respect for sure, but uh, this just really hit it off on me. It wasn't like That's overly awesome. uh, overly crude or vulgar. It was just funny to me. That's cool. Um, so I like that. Um, and then I'm trying to make sure there weren't any other TV shows that came out. Um, oh, and I watched, uh, I went all the way through all 25 episodes of the 1997 version of the Berserk anime. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. Um, but really cool anime. It's, uh, about, basically, like, about a dude with a big sword, and that sounds really simple, but it gets into, uh, a lot of really deep subjects, and uh, it's really cool, so um, I really enjoyed it. Got through that one. So yeah, that's awesome. uh, what I've been watching. Awesome. Dom, what have you been deep, deep diving into? So I pretty much didn't play any games either. Oh, a trifecta. Um, this week. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, I mean, I played... Welcome to the Controlled <laughs> Interest Gamecast. <laughs> Where we didn't really play yeah, video right? games this week. It happens. No, I, I mean, I played probably two hours worth of games. I played Journey uh, completely. Have you guys played Journey? Yes. I have played uh, a little bit. I, just, I guess I just... I don't know what I think of it, if that makes sense. I have no idea, like... You don't get it, Dom. Ex- you don't get it. I just... Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what I just experienced. I'm like... I'm, I can't stop thinking about it, and I couldn't put it down. And I was like, whoa. whoa. You know, kind of just, like, in awe, but I didn't know why. And then at the end of it, I was like, what, what the heck was that? So I, I don't even know whether... I don't even know. I like to see that game as like an experience. Uh, yeah, it's very cerebral, night. very ethereal, very uh, out there. It's not supposed to be like you know, 
the telling you a beat by beat story. Or the anything. interesting thing is, I would love to see that game bundled with PSVR because I think for people who have never mm. played Journey, I think that would be a very interesting experience, and that could be the the demo showcase for people in VR to have this like journey because like like showing off like really cool games that are very video gamey or one thing, but like to show off to your mom or your grandma or somebody who's not very into like video games. I think Journey would be a really neat experience because the music is is really well done and it's just like a very like serene experience. I thought that'd be I think it'd be pretty cool. So that's a good. So point, I Gary. mean, there, this really needs a converse, its own conversation. But if that were a thing, would you put it in first person or how no. would that? You would just control the camera with your head. Yeah, I think you would just yeah. I, I think it would it wouldn't be first person. Uh, I think it would be the same way it is in the normal game, and it's just being able to like. You'd be able to be in that world more, and I think that's uh, Journey is a yeah. very, very much an art piece. It's an experience, and I think as as far away from the real world as you can get with that game, I think it'll make that experience even better. Mm. Um, and having the headphones on and being in VR, I think, could make it a an ex- an experience to the point of how some people kind of sell that game, and a lot of times it doesn't live up to it because it's so overhyped. And I think maybe PSVR can get it to that point with people of like meeting that expectation. Sometimes, you know, so. So yeah, I should have pointed out I did uh, wear headphones. I wore, you know, the Sony Golds the whole time, and the music was really cool. Like that was part of what kept me like so engrossed in what was going on, even though I didn't understand it. But yeah, it's something different, I guess. Yeah, and- it was free on free on PS Plus, by the way. So. Yeah, exactly. So how bad could it be if you got it for free? Right. I, I, that's that's the beauty about video games, man. Is it's it's like a like an indie art film. You know, it's like just like something like a a different a different flavor on your on your tongue, I guess that you're not used to. It's worth know. noting that yeah. you don't usually play a lot of these indie type games either, though, right, Dom? Uh, no, not really. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's something. Check it out. It's free. So, other than that, I did play two rounds of Last of Us multiplayer. Just for kicks. Cool. And I'm just going to say that anyone who's still playing that game online is extremely damn good at it. Yeah. That, cool. Those are some yeah. hardcore people. Yeah. yeah. it's And it's like as brutal of a multiplayer game as there's ever been. It's just like, it's hard. Um, I didn't get a kill in the two rounds I played. Damn. So that's why I put it down. Like, well... Guess this isn't gonna be for me. That's with uh, any multiplayer game though. Like I went and played a Battlefield Hardline the other day, and that one's that game's not that old. I mean, obviously, Uncharted Four is way newer, but like the people who stay on those games and commit themselves to that multiplayer, they're gonna be good. They're the people yeah. that sit there and play that yeah. game every day. You know, yeah. it's not surprising. Yeah. Uh, me and Emily did watch American Horror Story season six. Uh, the first episode came out. I really, really loved the first two seasons of this show. Um, the last couple, I. I just powered through. I've heard it. I wanted it, to watch them. I've heard it went off off a cliff. Yeah, I heard it turned into a so musical far, too. Like, is that is that a thing? No. In one of the seasons, there was a few songs, but it definitely I wouldn't call it a musical. Okay. Um, in the circus season, they had some performances, I guess. Okay. But it wasn't certainly not a musical. But so far, uh, the first episode of the sixth season is really cool. Like, I absolutely loved it. Very different approach. They're doing like a a documentary kind of thing um like found footage but it's still or no um where like they're telling the story of how it happened with cuba gooding and uh sarah paulson paulson, paulson. paulson right you know they're, t- they're telling the story like acting like a show but then also they're cutting back to an interview with like the real people from the story and it's different actors Oh, but they're like giving their it's like commentary it's it's interesting it's like a faux documentary um, i got you 
yeah, I don't. It's hard to describe, but it's really cool what they're doing, and that's obviously something they've not done before. Um, so it's cool, and then the theme and like the actual weirdness of what's going on is really cool in this one too. So, so yeah, I'm digging it so far. I'm, I've been teetering on this show for years. Is this something I should get into? Um, try like seasons one and two because those were amazing. So I've absolutely amazing. I think I saw all but the last one or two episodes of season one, and I thought it was solid, but. Uh, it seems like a lot of people are saying that's kind of as good as it gets. Yeah, one is definitely the best. Okay. Um, and it's it's kind of a love it or hate it show. Mm. It's weird. Yeah, Everything about it is real different. See, that's, so if you don't like it, then you're going to be like, uh, Yeah, I don't know if it's worth it. You know, Even if it is like a solid show, I, don't, I just don't know if it's worth it to go. If, if you've already watched that much of it and you're not hooked, then I probably wouldn't even bother yeah. anymore. Yeah. What happened, uh, I, I tried watching the first episode and I thought it was okay. And then I think that same day I watched the first episode of True Detective Season 1. And then I forgot about American Horror Story completely because True Detective Season 1 is like one of the best seasons of television I've ever seen. So I was like, yeah. That reminds me, though. Definitely do go and watch American Crime Story. Uh, yes, indeed. That series they did around O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Same producers and everything. That was amazing. Also, that was absolutely superb. Also starring about it uh, Cuba and Sarah Paulson. Yep. And they, they're like... Sarah Paulson's a really goddamn good actor, I guess. Is she the one that had like um, two, like she was two headed in one of the seasons? Is it that lady? Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. Uh, How do you act that? I don't yeah. know. Um, okay, so I think that's everything we've been playing. We're gonna hop into the news now. Uh, not a lot of news, but some interesting stuff. Uh, so the first story here comes by way of Polygon, Allegra Frank over at Polygon, and this is basically her retelling of the Business Insider story, and uh, it's how someone got an Xbox One before there even was an Xbox One. Uh, Microsoft let a prototype console out into the wild before official reveal. Uh, Microsoft unveiled the Xbox One in May 2013, just ahead of last year's E3. That year's E3, sorry. But one customer had unwittingly seen the console in real life before the rest of the world. The publication, Business Insider, uh, recounts Gia Lee's story, probably saying that wrong, from uh, March 2013, when an attempt to buy a new Microsoft laptop nabbed him an actual Xbox One prototype. Although the black and white tape uh, may throw off today's Xbox One owner, it was the game system all right, evidenced by what appeared on screen when Lee plugged it in. Microsoft didn't ship him a controller, connect, or any other fixings. Obviously, it was a mistake. Uh, the word crypto showed up when the system was on. That was allegedly a code name for the hardware when it was in development. Uh, how Lee ended up with the Xbox One before Microsoft had even unveiled it to the world is weirdly simple. Uh, Business Insider explains the company eager to keep the hardware under wraps until it was ready for the world to see stored Xbox One beta systems in a Microsoft shipment facility. They weren't meant to be sent out to people, of course, but some error on another le- uh, some error or another led to Lee becoming the world's first Xbox One owner, at least for a short while. After some negotiations, Mr. Lee and Microsoft made contact, according to Business Insider. In March 2013, a Microsoft representative arrived and retrieved the prototype. Uh, and in return, he got an Xbox 360 uh, along with the laptop he originally ordered. Uh, years later, the Xbox One is no longer the hottest model of Xbox on the market. There's the Xbox One S, yada, 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 talking about the Scorpio. Um, the other part of the story that isn't in this story, but it's in the Business Insider one, is that Engadget actually were the first ones contacted um, by Mr. Lee. And he basically sent out an email saying, hey, I have this thing, the Xbox One Cryptos. And they jumped on it, and they were actually really close to unveiling this before it was even announced by Microsoft. But they actually uh, got in touch with Microsoft, and they made a deal with Microsoft that instead of uh, basically putting out that story of the Xbox One and leaking it, um, they made a deal so they would have exclusive content once the Xbox One was revealed. So 
Backdoor yeah. shady deals. Yeah, exactly. I would much rather, as a consumer of video games, the story of that guy getting the Xbox is way more interesting than uh, read our exclusive stories of the Xbox One at release. You know, it's kind of weird. Yeah, um, but Engadget gets more money off of the latter. Exactly. Exactly. I understand why, but I would love to see the other... The other. I, I get why you do that if you're Microsoft, though. I mean, obviously you want to control your own your message, so that was cool. That was that was impressive impressive of them to stomp that leak out. Also, imagine how much they had to they they had like basically Engadget had the whole deal on their side. They could negotiate whatever they wanted, you know. Because Microsoft yeah. didn't want this to leak. They have the leverage exactly. Um, so that was an interesting story. Really cool. So, just real quick, two things on this. First of all. If you see the picture with the black and white stripes on this, it looks like a really cool Xbox One skin. Yeah. It's like, I almost wish that they had that for sale. And then two, um, the fact that they ha- they sent a person down there to retrieve it and didn't just have them ship it back is really telling that they were like super serious about that. Yeah. yeah. That's the, and they gave him some free shit. Yeah. Exactly. They're like, here's to a 360. Keep, your mouth, keep yeah. your mouth shut. Yeah. Um, which I would have been like, give me an Xbox One when this thing comes out. I'll much rather take yeah. that. Why did they give him a three? Like, hey, we know that you just received the new Xbox, but here's a 360 that came out so, seven years ago. Exactly. In- instead of going to Engadget and having them do that negotiation, he should have, I don't know if this is possible, he should have went to Microsoft directly yeah. and been like, hey, I'm going to go tell this. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go show this to some news outlet. dollars real quick, boys. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, so the next story... He- Ransom. Yeah. The next story here is uh, news to Jordan's ears. I think he's super excited. This comes by way of Polygon.com. Uh, Smith Sakar writes, Assassin's Creed, the Ezio Collection, confirmed for November on PS4 and Xbox One. Um, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about this supposedly leaking, that the Ezio Collection was a real thing. And uh, basically, yeah, it was announced. Ubisoft is remastering and repackaging the last three generation Assassin's Creed games, starring Ezio Auditore de Firenze, I believe is how you Ezio pronounce it. Ezio Auditore da Firenze. Yeah, I've never pronounced the da Firenze part, so. Uh, into a bundle known as Assassin's Creed, the Ezio Collection. Um, and... The official release date is the 15th, right? Or is it the 17th? 15th, uh, right here. 15th, yeah. Yeah. Yes. We just set yes, for yes. release November 15th on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. If you're not familiar, it features uh, 2009's Assassin's Creed 2, 2010's Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, and 2011's Assassin's Creed Revelations. Um, if you're not familiar with the Assassin's Creed franchise, this is considered to be the holy grail of the franchise. This is the story or the arc that matters in that series above all else. Um, I think they're... Assassin's Creed 2 is my favorite out of all the Assassin's Creed games, um, and I just love the uh, like the uh, the upgrade systems late in that game, Jordan, where you yeah. can like upgrade the the city and like your your armor and stuff like that. I thought it was really well done. Yeah. Um, and they even bridged that into Brotherhood, which that's my favorite of the three. Um, yeah. And it's it's that Syndicate and Unity are my three favorite AC games. So, yeah, man, I cannot wait to play this. Uh, we already talked on this podcast about how I was going to be missing Assassin's Creed uh, game this year, even though they were having the movie, that I was probably going to play Rogue. Um, I'll, I'm sure I'll still play Rogue at some point, but uh, yeah, I am definitely going to be picking this up. Um, same probably with the Bioshock collection. I've already played these games, uh, so I'll probably just wait until it's, you know, like uh, 30 or 40 bucks maybe. Um, but still very excited. And. Um, yeah, I think this was kind of a no-brainer, and uh, just uh, super excited they decided to do this. Also, uh, it's going to be $60, um, but you can get an $8 off uh, 
You can get $8 off of a ticket to the film Assassin's Creed if you pre-order it, I guess is nice. what they're saying. Also, it comes with all the add-ons as well as, and I didn't know this, it comes with uh, Assassin's Creed Lineage, which is a 36-minute short film that serves mm-hmm. as a prequel to Assassin's Creed 2. And it also comes with Assassin's Creed Embers, which is an animated epilogue uh, to Revelations. So it comes with some are, extra content. Those are both awesome, so I'm really glad. I saw that on IGN yesterday. I was really excited to see that they were putting that in there. Because this, uh, with these five pieces of entertainment, you really do have the whole uh, Ezio story. And um, I'm also glad that uh, I... Well, now I'm trying to think. I guess they didn't have multiplayer until AC3. Do you do you remember, Jared? I'm pretty sure... Didn't Brotherhood have it? Because Brotherhood, they, they, they showed off like the different types of like masks and stuff, didn't they? And then that was like a big thing in the multiplayer is you can look different. Like you can look like some of the other assassins. I know in Brotherhood you built your own Brotherhood offline, like in it the single be, player campaign. I might be thinking of Revelations. I It was one of the Ezio Trilogy games, though. Obviously it wasn't two. It was one of those two that started the, the multiplayer. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Um, so but, these don't. This is just single player, which I'm yeah. totally cool with. I'm, I like that. Um, I think this is like a lot of people say there's like with these really big franchises. Like for instance, Mass Effect. I always I always say that if you're gonna if you can only play one of the three Mass Effect games, I would say two because it's the best blending of everything. Mm. Um, I think that the Ezio Collection, now that it's obviously gonna be remastered and stuff, the Ezio Trilogy. I think it's probably the must play out of the entire Assassin's Creed series, uh, in yeah. my opinion. Um, I think it gives you a real sense of what this franchise is supposed to be. Um, yeah. And it has, two I think... Is, the, sorry, two's a great starting point. Yeah. it has. I think it has one of the 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 closest connections to the protagonist that you'll get in any of the games. I'm not yeah. saying the other games are bad, but I think the connection to Ezio early on and just going through that arc, seeing him go from a young man to an old man is really astonishing and really interesting. So, Yeah, people regard him as the best uh, assassin from the games, and I would say that's generally true uh edward kenway was was pretty likable um but yeah Ezio is probably the best out of the uh games now the expanded universe is a whole different story but yeah also um, uh kenway is awesome but i would uh, i would say that black flag is probably the least assassin's creed out of all the games oh definitely yeah Yeah. that's that's more pirate game almost but um, exactly this, uh, you know, of course, we still have people complaining about remasters, even though it's clearly a big part of the industry these days. Um, both the Bioshock Collection and the Ezio Collection, those are classic games from last generation that I feel are totally warranted for a remaster because, um, especially like AC2, AC Brotherhood, you go back and play those now, and they they look a little rough. Um, they aren't terrible looking, but. Uh, I am very glad to see them getting uh, some polish. Also, this kind of... I I think people are mad that remasters happen, but I think it's also a way to combat that, you know, video games age and video games die. People's, you know, Game Boy cartridges die and they don't have those games anymore. So as long as the remasters still capture that same spirit and they don't change too much of the original games, I think it's great for video games. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, it's, it's like a collection. You're not buying one remastered game. I think you get the value there for the 60, you know? Yeah, so. three amazing Assassin's Creed games. Well, Revelation isn't amazing. All uh, of their DLC. All the DLC yeah. and those two uh, features with the lineage and embers. Yeah, I think you're totally getting your money's worth here. Hundred percent. I still wish. I still wish they did number three. That's the one I never played. I want to go back to. I know I'm in the vast minority there, but dude, just played American history. So played on PC. I'm sure you could run it. That game. I- yeah. That's the best place to play that game. 
I own that game since release, and I never got around to playing it. It was just one of those things of, like, something else came out, I didn't play it, and then I just heard so many people say it wasn't a great Assassin's Creed experience. And, you know, you're supposed to play yourself and kind of figure it out, but, like, I was like, should I commit time to it? Should I, you know, pause on other games? And I was like, well, if people aren't really loving it, I'm really enjoying what I'm playing now, so it's, it's not really something I want to go to, you know? And then I played Black Flag, and I love Black Flag, so I don't really feel I missed out with 3, so... They made a lot of mistakes with 3. It was really overly ambitious. The story was really drawn out. It got pretty long and boring. And uh, a lot of people, that's their least favorite. I would say it's pretty low on the list for me. I think it's better than 1. I think that game did something really great, though, and it had a Native American main protagonist, which I think the only other video game to do that was, like, Prey. And, like, I know a lot of, like, obviously I'm from New Mexico, and there's quite a bit of, like, a Native American population here. And uh, a couple of my friends who are Native American and gamers love Assassin's Creed 3 because it gave them that, that you know, relatable character finally. So I thought that was really yeah. cool. Whether it's a yeah. good game or a bad game, I think that was awesome. Um, so that was some good Ubisoft news, some bad Ubisoft news. It was announced today, um, via their blog um, that South Park The Fractured Butthole will now launch an Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PC not on December 6th, but rather quarter one, 2017. They didn't give an exact date, which... I actually like this more when people delay games as opposed to giving another specific release date. Right. Um, I, I would uh, I would much rather be like, yeah, we can't meet this date. Here's a window, and we'll figure out what works. Because if you give a window, you can make earlier or later, you know? I wouldn't um, even do that. I would just say the game's delayed. We'll let you know when it's ready. Yeah, that's what I love that Cappy, Cappy did with Below. They're just like, next time you'll hear from us, the game's going to be done and ready to be put out. They're like, yep. we're not letting you know when it's going to come out. Just next time we talk, you'll we'll, it'll be the game coming out. And uh, Exactly. This this makes sense. We were talking about this earlier. This hits a week after, or a little more than a week after uh, Black Friday. And that's, that's definitely a date you want to hit with any type of entertainment. You know, the deal is getting people in the stores to buy stuff for the holiday season. Right. And usually people do a lot of their bulk shopping... Um, on Black Friday. They do some shopping, obviously, leading up to it. You see the stores, they go crazy. But uh, I think this was kind of a case of maybe they felt that this wasn't the best release date for it. Um, I was joking around before uh, that I felt that maybe this was, uh, you know, because of the Ezio collection, they wanted uh, they wanted to sell better with the movie and everything, so they're pushing their other game out. But eh, if you really think about it, they're not even the same type of game. They're completely yeah. different audiences. Yeah. Um, does it is this actually benef- is this is this uh, more of a beneficial move for you guys? Uh, I know Dom, you said you're interested in it. It being in quarter one now is that better for you than it being December sixth, or were you excited to play something over the holiday? I mean, it's it's fine for me. It's probably better because now that frees up some space for me this holiday. Now I can probably jump into uh, Bioshock Collection or actually uh, maybe even Skyrim Remastered or. Something like that. In the meantime, I'm not, you know, there's plenty that there's gonna, there's plenty that to play. I guess during this time, I'm fine waiting. But the more importantly, I guess like there's very few publishers that I will believe when they tell me a release date anymore. Yeah. Like I just don't. Yeah. That's okay. And that's okay. I'm not up in arms about these delays because it's better for the games ultimately. But it's like I just I'm not gonna believe you unless you're Bethesda or especially if it's uh, Sony Call first of Duty. Party. And if you're a Sony first party, add minimum one year to whatever day they tell you. I mean, if we yeah. went through just the AAA releases, and of course indies get delayed all the time, but just the AAA releases this year, which, you know, of the actual... More than 50%. Of oh, the yeah. actual true big AAA releases, there's probably like 20 games in a year, right? 
And yeah. yeah, I would say at least 10 or, 10 or 12 of them got yeah. delayed at some point in their exactly. lifespan. So. And the, the worst oh. part is, this is like, we always complain about so many games trying to like bulk up the fall, and then a bunch of them, usually the games that get delayed are the fall games, and they get delayed to spring. It's like, yeah. maybe if you just weren't trying to bulk up a season that's already full of games, just yeah. take your time. Put them in the summer, Jared! You know, I I've think, been saying it. I think also, uh, we've been hearing a lot of talk about uh, publishers and people, heads of companies saying, you know, we're actually going to change the way we're releasing games and we're going to be talking about the games way closer to release than normal. We're changing that stuff. And a lot of them right. talk about how Bethesda changed that. And I think a lot of these games, and we'll go into this later on the show, it has to do with obviously Jordan's topic. I think a lot of games uh, were announced or talked about before that whole Bethesda Fallout 4 thing, that event. And yep. they're kind of suffering... Um, the breadcrumb trail of video game release, you know, of people mm. getting tired of hearing tidbit, 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 just release your game already. I don't want to see it delayed again. I just want to see it out, you know? Yeah. So. Remember uh, last year's E3 2015 uh, at the EA conference when they were the the one that had the Mass Effect reveal trailer, um, the opening statement from the dude was, the games that you're about to see today are either out this year or next year. Of course, we know that's not the case with Mass Effect Andromeda, but uh, they're, I think these publishers, they can only help themselves by making the reveal time shorter. We're living in the internet age. You can get the information out quickly, and everyone will know that your game's coming out. Why the fuck do you need more than six months for a game to be revealed, you know? Exactly. Dude, the, the Fallout 4 method was so much more effective, I think, in marketing, too. Yeah. Because, you know, it was a couple of days before something came up on their website with a countdown. Yeah. And then you started seeing not necessarily leaks, but, like, some some words floating around. Of maybe this is going on, you know. Yeah. Not full-on leaks, but, like, that was, like, I remember an anticipation of, because we all knew what it was. But it still, like, got me so hyped. And then they had that blowout event, like, which is so much Fallout. There's a mobile game, like, just all this stuff. And that's an- I think that hyped me up way more than a long marketing cycle would that's an interesting point because um you you talked about how uh you already knew what it was well that was because of the gigantic reddit leak where the lady came in and said that hey it's gonna be in boston it's it's gonna be in boston well it all came true i'll have to go back and read it but i didn't believe that and i don't i'll see how much of it is a hefty amount true, of that was true. I would say 50 plus percent, yeah. And the but stuff, a lot of that stuff was already leaked, though. No, no she, she was, was the first the person. Yeah. yeah, she was the first and person. Like, most people knew it was going to be in Boston. Well, no, the, like, only information we had, the only information we had before that it was that somebody spotted a Bethesda scout in Boston. That's literally the yeah, only... Yeah, they were at UMass taking pictures. Yeah. That's the only evidence we had before her. Well, leak. and they hinted at it in Fallout 3 heavily, too. Well, yeah, but this lady was the big True. leak. Let's That's why we knew everything, and most of the information she said was correct. And the stuff that wasn't correct, you could tell it was... She probably so said early it so on. early, yeah, yeah, that they had probably just changed their plans. Well, okay. When I said I, like, we all knew what it was, I meant more along the lines of we knew it was the next Fallout game, and yeah. that was a, oh, yeah. that was essentially but, it. Yeah. My point was that's what was, I was getting at. I guess you guys think that they held that game so tight and close to the chest, and only revealed it eight months before release because of that gigantic Reddit leak. Do you think that was it? The was case? no, no. I don't Hell think no. it was that. I think 
I think that uh, that was their plan all along. And the weird conversation with this too is people think that it has to be a huge company that does this. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, one of the issues with For Honor, which I think is going to be a cool game and everything, I think Ubisoft is actually losing some of that heat because uh, I remember for E3 when my friends watched the For Honor trailer, they're like, I'm so excited, that game looks so cool. And these aren't like avid video game enthusiasts like me. They don't watch video game podcasts. They don't listen to them anything. They're just average right. gamers, right? Right. Um, whatever that means. And, so, and now when I said I got into the For Honor alpha, they're like, what? What are you talking about? And I was like, you yep. remember the game with the swords that the guys are fighting? They're like, I don't, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, and they're, they're kind of lackluster. When I remember at E3, they were so excited. And if that game was coming out this fall, maybe they'd be like, I'm going to keep that in my brain. But since it, it got it's next year, they just you know forget about it. You know. Yep, it's the way to go, man. Publishers are scared to do that because they think they have it nailed into their brains that if we reveal For Honor at E3 and then release it in the fall, people aren't going to know about it by then. We're not going to have told enough people. The information won't have spread. Yeah. It's like, what? This is not fucking 1955. Like, information gets out there quick. Also, here's You've got to get it out before people, like you just said, people don't even care about it anymore. Exactly, and everyone's not Bethesda and Todd Howard, but I guarantee you if, like, Ubisoft, you know, the really cool guy that came out and announced For Honor, the guy with the cane with the beard looks like a right. cast of, part of the cast of Sons of Anarchy. If that dude, <laughs> if they announce that game at E3, it comes out in the fall, and he just goes on a media tour going on, you know... P.S. I Love You or Beyond or any of these really big podcasts and they yeah. just circulate that way, the, the game will sell itself. The core audience watches E3 and they get excited for stuff and they want to buy it soon enough. The guys that are more invested in like listening to all the podcasts and do all this stuff, if you go out there and you do a media tour, you show you're invested in the community as well and they're willing to buy your game that quick too. I think the landscape's changing for the better. You know, I'm tired of hearing about a game and then two years later it comes out or ten years, you know, so. Not only that, so Jared, but hardcore gamers, for the most part, a lot of times sell casual gamers on these types of exactly. games. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I've sold my friends so on Jared, countless indie games. Sorry. Yep. Uh, so, Jared, what else got delayed? Oh, yeah. The last story here <laughs> before we jump into the topics. Um, I don't want to talk about it too long because my topic kind of pertains to the game, but uh, PlayStation blog, uh, Shuhei, our boy Shuhei, which I would Jesus love to see Christ. at E3. Of the two games that could not have been delayed this year, right? Exactly, and you don't show them off at the PlayStation meeting or E3, but you have them write this blog to make everyone sad. Anyways, an update on The Last Guardian. The Last Guardian development team is fast approaching major milestones in production and has made the tough decision to re delay the release of The Last Guardian a few weeks. Uh, the Last Guardian will launch on December 6th, uh, and basically he goes into what we've heard. You know, they want to make the game better, yada, yada, yada. Uh, delay speak, nothing too crazy. Um, do you... Does I'm not familiar with the PlayStation ecosystem that much, is Shuhei usually the one that it writes these things? Fuck no. Do you think this? Oh. Do you think they had him intentionally write this because they felt it would go yeah. over a little bit better if Shuhei's name was on it? Yeah, usually it'd be Ryan Clements or or Sid Schumann, like somebody that works at the PlayStation blog. They that was the like who's gonna yell at Shuhei is essentially exactly. what it is. Yeah, no one's gonna get mad at Shuhei, especially the hardcore PlayStation nation, and. It's just horseshit, man. These two games, Final Fantasy XV and Last Guardian, have no right to be delaying themselves yeah. this close to release. You've had ten years, right? And then four an weeks, four weeks, yeah, you have an event or you have this big E3 reveal like Sony did with Last Guardian. And then four weeks before the game's supposed to come out, I think it's give or take four weeks for both of these games, you're going to delay it a few more weeks. It's like you knew, you knew, but you were just scared to say it because 
these two games should not have been delayed of any game in the industry, but you were just so scared to say it. You're like, let's push it as far as we can, and then if we really can't make that date, then we'll have to delay it. But, god damn, this is just some mismanagement if I've ever fucking seen mm. it. I'm, like, sick of it, dude. Like, just shut up and then let us know when it's done. Exactly. That's it. Um, At this point. Yeah. So I Last will Guardian not be got getting delayed. these games day one. I was definitely thinking about getting Final Fantasy day one. I will not buy either of these games day one Yeah. at all. No way. Exactly. I don't think the publishers uh, deserve deserve your money that quick. No. Um, so my topic, I want to get into it. Now that we know that Last Guardian is delayed, this, this kind of – so once you know Final Fantasy XV got delayed, I started thinking about it. And I don't think it's going to be as much of an issue for Final Fantasy XV, maybe, but definitely for Last Guardian, I definitely get these vibes. I want to talk about, and hopefully I can you know come across at this point as clearly as possible, is that I really feel that Last Guardian is a game that's going to be developed at a time out of the time that it should have been. Like, yeah, it's been 10 years, 10 plus years. I really think that when this game comes out, it's going to, it'll, I don't think it's going to be a great game. And I think the reason it's going to be held back as being revered as a great game or maybe even a good game is I think it's going to be a game that would have been good eight years ago. I think yep. that when you have a team working on a game for so long, they, they kind of, kind of get tunnel vision. They're just trying to finish the product. And a lot of times these companies don't, if this game, takes too long they don't see how the outside world is changing and their game doesn't evolve alongside with it so you're stuck with a product that might look like a game that should come out nowadays but doesn't feel or play like a game that should come out you know it feels like a game out of time it well, feels like you know a back to the future experience kind of thing you know branching off of that think about how you were talking about the tunnel vision with the developers you're going to tell me that team eco hasn't been thinking about the new game that they're going to make after this for the last five years, if Sony doesn't just destroy all their asses as soon as the game comes out. Like, exactly. Those guys are creatives, and they're thinking about the next project because they've been working on this, uh, you know, Eco, Shadow of the Colossus, Last Guardian franchise since before the year 2000. So you don't think they're ready to move on to something else? You don't think they're just trying to, like, oh my god, let's just get this shit done? And I'm telling you, there's no way it's all their fault. Like, there's no way that they just haven't been doing work. It's clear that this is a mismanaged situation from the top. And exactly. so these guys are ready to move on, and that means their best work is not being put into the current game that they've been making forever. This this is a classic case of the sunken cost fallacy, Yeah. where they've already been working on it, they've already spent money on it, there's already a studio... Even though everything is going so poorly and the game should just be canceled. Yeah. Sony says, you know, well, we've already spent a bunch of money in the names here and this and that. Might as well just get it out anyway. Because, you know, we already spent so much money on it. When really, like, the better decision might have been a couple years ago to just end it. Exactly. Just, my thing is... It's gone. My thing is... And move on to the next thing. There's no way that Sony hasn't taken such a loss on this, and there's also no way they're going to make their money back. No so way. So why not, why not just lose a few extra bucks if you're this gigantic corporation and say, fuck it, we're putting it out in June, it's going to have a shit ton of bugs, nobody's going to buy it, but we're going to patch it for the next six months and turn it into a decent game sell it for $40 all digital, and then you might actually get some people to buy the game. But this way, you're like, no, it's still a full $60 game. No, we're still going to delay it so that the day one patch won't, won't be as big. Like, are you kidding me? Just fucking get it out there. Nobody even cares about this game anymore. People just care about the fact that we keep getting jerked around by the goddamn company that's supposed to be selling it to us. Also, I think that half the time when people get excited about this game, it's 100% nostalgia porn. Yeah. I don't think... 
And this game might be a good game. I don't necessarily say this saying it's going to be a bad game, but I really think that this this game isn't going to this game isn't going to impress anybody that isn't already fond of that franchise. I don't think that this game is going to right. appeal to anybody right. that already loved those games. I think this yeah. is a hundred percent. It's just for the people who care about it, which is weird to say, but like even most of the people that care about it are, are kind of tired of this game coming out and they want it to be out already. And like, I don't know. So, so think about it. I mean, it does have the one thing going for it that it's been talked about a lot. And uh, to some extent, no press is bad press, right? But consider that when people do talk about this, they're talking about the dev cycle, the 10 years, the delay, the what it like. They're not talking about the game itself and why it could be cool or what it's doing, right? Yeah. Well, first like of if all, you think, uh, they've done a terrible job of showing us the game mechanics. But yeah, who's talking about the yeah. game mechanics? Exactly. I don't even know what it is still. The only thing I've ever seen is the same clip of the dog on that bridge and, the <laughs> and him catching tape. the tail. Yeah. Yeah. And there's 15-minute <laughs> gameplay videos, but I'm not even interested enough to no. to watch it because I'm like, no. what else am I supposed to like? There's nothing else that would impress me. Like, I don't know. I think uh, no, I don't know. another thing that people forget is the fact that I haven't played Eco, but I know for a fact that Shadow of the Colossus is an overrated game. The reason that those games are remembered so fondly is because that is 15 years ago in an age where even hardcore gamers weren't calling games art back then. You know, for uh, if I was on this podcast saying, you know, guys, video games are art, you'd look at me like, yeah, no shit, dummy. Like, of course they are. You just played Journey, Dom. Like, that's exactly what that is. But games are art now, and they weren't back then. So when that hit, it was like, oh my gosh, this game's like art, and it's, you know, yeah, a cult classic. Yeah. yeah, it's a cult classic and all this. Like, a lot of the mechanics in that game are broken and janky as fuck. Like, there's a lot of issues with those games, and they are not nearly as good as people talk about them. People talk about them like they're some of the best of all time, and they're not even close. So, um, that being said, all all of the hype and all of the the talk and the news surrounding this game, it's just even worse because I'm telling you, like, it's not like you know, um, Tomb Raider and Rise of the Tomb Raider, and then it takes them 10 years to make the third Tomb Raider game in the reboot. And then we're like, well, yeah, but Crystal Dynamics has made two amazing games before. Like, no, people are riding off of nostalgia when they talk about how amazing Eco and Shadow of the Colossus are. And so I really don't think, even if, let's say this game is as good as Shadow of the Colossus, the best game in the series, I still think it's like an 8.5. Yeah, I think the issue, too really when you think about it is so i've said and i said i'm gonna stick to my guns i really think because once again i maybe these games will both get delayed again final fantasy and, and last guardian i really think no Wouldn't man's put sky it past gonna, no man's sky is going to be the most disappointing game this year and the thing that no man's sky has over last guardian is that the expectations were so high and people were let down right with last guardian i think it's People's expectations are kind of tapered. There are people who are excited for it, but those people aren't really even the people you kind of want to listen to because they're the people that are going to play that game, whether it's good or bad, and yeah. they're going to be like, I'm satisfied because yeah. they want to justify themselves being excited for this I, game for so long. I don't long. know any of these people that you're talking about. Yeah, they, I don't think they exist that <laughs> Are much. they alive? Yeah. yeah. Also, um, do you think, what about Mighty Number no. 9 being the most disappointing game of the year? No, I think people oh. had their expectations pretty set on that. If you so if you had a if you had a if you had a chart and you put max expectations and then what the actual um, the actual response was when the game released, I think that the highest point would be way higher for No Man's Sky than than Mighty Number no. so, Nine. I think it was disappointing, to, but 
That game has fallen off a fucking cliff. Nobody is talking about that game anymore. Exactly. To prove your point, Jared, uh, people like half the people that bought No Man's Sky were able to return it. Like wow. even if they bought it digitally, yeah. even Sony and Steam were giving returns, which is crazy. Yeah, that's unprecedented um, for sure. And, it, and and it's a weird situation too because Sean Murray or Hello Games, I don't know the extent of it, but from what I've read, they literally lied and overpromised about features that were going to be in the game that didn't make it. Yeah, there's YouTube. So it wasn't videos. just disappointed. There, yeah. There's YouTube videos. It wasn't of disappointing clips from his interviews saying, "Yes, this will yeah. be in the game. Yes, you will be able to see other players and interact with them. Yes, and then you it will be able to wasn't. join factions." And then it's not there. See, and the weird thing too is he always had a Sony rep with him. So the, the, the issue I'm I'm having is like, so Sony obviously wanted him to to talk up this game because they got behind. And they wanted to sell, right? Yeah. I wonder if they were having discussions and they're like, well, is this possible? And he's like, yeah, we want to have that within the first year. And and uh, they're like, well, if anybody asks, say it's going to be in the game. And he's like, yeah. he could have been yeah. like, well, it's not going to be in there for a couple of updates. And they're like, well, if somebody asks, it will be in the game. So therefore, say it's going to be in the game. And I'm not putting all of the all of the fault off of Sean Murray. He's obviously accountable as well. But yeah. that whole situation reeks of a develop an indie guy getting in over his head and having to be shackled to Sony and try to deliver on the promise they're selling their gamers and yeah. I think that's the so, perfect way to describe it, Jared. Yeah. So back to uh, let's let's get back to the original topic yeah. here and build up the crux of, of what we were talking about. And I think you're absolutely right. So The Last Guardian absolutely was developed at a different time. So I th- in my opinion there's an objective increase in actual quality of games over time. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like games- not just graphically, but like games just simply control better, oh, yeah. feel better, and work the more the way you want them to than they used to. Yeah. Now there's some older games that you could argue you do that too because they're so simple that it, all you need is a D-pad and two buttons to play them. But I think there's some level of objectivity that games get better. Also, there was less games time. back then, so like yeah. the bar wasn't that high to hit. Exactly. Yep. But point being that this game was developed eight years ago, when that objective level of quality was lower than it is now. And to an extent, like, I think you ha- like games have to be developed somewhat in a vacuum, especially when it takes this long to where, like, you can't build off of what other games are doing because you've already started your own thing and it's just taking you so long that you're not keeping up with the time. So, yeah, I think this is the best way to put it. The biggest problem this game is going to have is that, yeah, it was developed for a release eight years ago in which the standards for grading, for the quality of a game were different also, than they are now. Also, it's different to... it's it's. It's better to develop in a vacuum over the course of four or five years, like Fallout 4, than twice that, you know? Because, like, right, it's a, it's right. a little bit forgivable. Yeah, Fallout 4 has its issues, and yeah, it was developed in a vacuum, and Witcher 3 looks completely head and shoulders above Fallout 4 as far as, like, looks, and even gameplay's a lot smoother. Fallout 4 has trouble running sometimes, but that's still a little bit more manageable, and, you know, you can forgive that because it's it's so close to when that other game came out. This is like between Shadow of Colossus and this. It's like there's no forgiveness there. It's been so long. We want a modern game, you know? So, And it's it's largely just optics because if you looked at it in a vacuum and you reviewed it in a vacuum, you could probably come to the conclusion that it's great. Yeah. But when you look at Fallout 4 and if within a couple weeks Witcher 3 also came out and you put them next to each other, you're kind of like, this Fallout game is actually kind of crap. Now, granted, I still love it, of yeah, course, I love but it too. <laughs> in comparison, like it looks bad. It's like even not even the, just looks. It it plays not as well. Well, yeah, I mean, well, it yeah. like it, it it looks bad like optically, like it makes them look bad. It's the same thing with like just the density too uh, in Witcher Three. Like, let me just yeah. translate for what you guys are saying for our audience. Witcher Three shits all over Fallout Four. I mean, it really yeah. does. Like 
from an objective standpoint, yeah. it does, yeah. yeah. My thing is, the fact that Last Guardian is not an open-world game, like, can you imagine? It's going to be like a, kind of like an Uncharted 4 situation where there's like open areas, but it is pushing you down a path. I don't even know about that, man. I'm, I'm kind of worried that it's going to be like... Super linear. Super linear. <laughs> and it's probably like six to eight hours or something, but like, yeah, yeah seriously... How, like, what were they doing, man? Like, I feel like the game had to be finished, like, four years ago, and it was just, like, a pile of trash, so they had to really fix it, kind of, you know, fix bugs and fix story problems and fix this, that gameplay problems, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's no way that this game hasn't been done for a while, you know? Yeah, um... I mean, all I I'm, I don't know if I speak for you guys, but like I hope this game's good. I hope every game that comes out's good. I don't want a game to be bad. I don't wish for bad games. I don't sit in my room twiddling my fingers like mwahaha, this game's gonna be yeah. garbage. You know, I hope for people who are I'm just sick it. of it though. Yeah, I'm sick of the delays, but I, I hope it's a good game. But I I really think it's not going to be. And uh, you know, I had my expectations set for No Man's Sky, and it delivered on my expectations. I I have my expectations set for Final Fantasy 15 and. Uh, and Last Guardian now, and I think they're going to meet those, unfortunately, but that's that. Uh, um, one last thing about this. For me, a big deal about this is the fact that it's being made by Team Eco, which is a section... I think it's like... The way I've heard it described is that it is part of Studio Japan, which is a Sony first-party studio that is inside of Sony headquarters, but then this is kind of like an offshoot. Like, they're totally separate, even though they still are connected. So Studio Japan... Um, like Team Eco is making the game, but then you know the other guys that aren't on Team Eco in Studio Japan are also helping. Um, and not only that, but Studio Japan's also coming out with Gravity Rush Two this year, um, which you know only f took a few years to make. Um, and um, so once Gravity Rush Two comes out and um, Last Guardian comes out, then we're gonna see something completely new. Uh. Studio Japan will be unshackled from the chains of Ueda. Like, I cannot wait to see what Studio Japan does next because it's not going to be a Vita exclusive like Gravity Rush 2 or Gravity Rush. It's not going to be, um, you know, like this weird second part of a series that started on Vita like Gravity Rush 2 is. Um, I think that we're going to have this big, awesome open world game coming from Studio Japan in a couple years, and I cannot wait to see what that studio does. Speaking of, really quick, one news story we missed. Two new Vita colors announced. Just saying. It's not dead. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, red and... What was the other Silver. One? Silver. Yeah. Red one looks fire. I didn't even know there was an take, orange one. Take it how you will. If I knew that orange one existed, I would have bought that thing a long time ago. It's... I think it's Japan only. I don't care. That thing looks gorgeous. I love they sell orange. They sell Japanese Vitas on Amazon America. That's how yeah. I get my white one. So, um, are you going to get an orange one, Jer? No, I can't justify buying it this late. I, I really... I can't. Personally. Why? Because all the games are already out now. Well, <laughs> all yeah. the AAA games are already—they've already come and gone. Yeah, exactly. I think it's cool. I have nothing against Vita, but I just don't think it's smart—a financial decision right now. Um, topic, dumb. Shoot. Topic. Yes, I have one. A topic. <laughs> yes. All right. So the question is at its core very simple, but there's a couple parts to it to consider. So the question is. What do you value most in a video game? <clears throat> what is most important to you when you're judging, you know, or playing a game? Um, now, it's not, it's more than that, though. So it's not just what's the most important, but it's where do you rank, you know, the, the three, four, or five things that you think are, you know, that 
that are a part of this question, gotcha. what percent of the pie do they each deserve, right? Okay. So, for example, for me, I think it's got to be, um, there's, there's three pieces, 33% each evenly split. One is gameplay, because it's got to play right. It's got to be fun to actually play the game. The loop has to be fun to do. Um, after that story, I love games with a good story. Um, like, Assass like Assassin's Creed uh, Syndicate that I played, the story just didn't really grab me. The gameplay was there um, once I kind of got used to the movement. And then the aesthetics were there. So, But the story was just kind of... Uh, some of the side characters were cool to play around with. But for the most part, that's kind of where that ranked. And then the third pillar is um, visuals and performance and that's kind of a combination it's not just like well this is the this game is the highest resolution or it has the most detail it's it's a combination of art style um frame rate you know fluidity um graphic detail whatever it is that, that can make it look good so for example like journey looked amazing on my tv right yeah. it's only a couple colors and a couple shapes and that's it but like the art style and everything they did combined to make the presentation that's what i'd call it is the presentation is just phenomenal whereas uncharted 4 has a phenomenal presentation in a different manner so like their their naughty dogs blend of the cinematic cutscenes and those elements into gameplay kind of adds to that presentation for me so that's for me the three things uh all evenly split gameplay um story and presentation is what i'll call it so i for me, I, they're, they're all even. They're all equally important to me, and I couldn't, I couldn't pick one over the other. Um, the way they, they interact is different for each game. If one game has such a phenomenal story, but the gameplay is a little weak, then they can be forgiven, right? They can balance each other out to some extent. But obviously, you want all three to be as high as you can. So I'm just curious what is... Uh, I, I'm, I'm anticipating that Jordan might put a little bit higher emphasis on gameplay than I did, but... Curious what you guys think. Would you like to go first, Jordan, or would you like me sure. to go first? Okay. Sure, I will. Uh, yeah, so um, I think we're all going to have different opinions here, which is going to be cool. But, uh, yeah, so if we're breaking down – also, uh, I think you meant to say gameplay, presentation, and performance, not gameplay, story, and presentation, right? Dom? Uh, yeah, gameplay, to me, story. To me, presentation is the story, the art style, all that stuff. Right, right. Yeah, and gameplay is design uh, mechanics. It sounded like from what you were saying earlier, I think you just misspoke. I may be wrong, but I just wanted to make okay. sure. We know what you mean. Um, we, we got you. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Um, just in case anybody out there was confused. Anyways, um, for me, if we're going to break it down to percentage, I'm going to go with 50% gameplay, and then we have 30% uh, performance, and then 20% presentation, story, whatever you want to call it. Um the reason being is because I feel like those are the most important parts of a video game in that order. One being gameplay. Um, if you can't see a movie, then it's not going to be a good movie. If you can't hear a movie, then it's not going to be a good movie. Um, you know, if if you open up a book and it's so poorly printed that half of the words are like blotched out, then the, you're not going to enjoy the book. And so for me, the logistics always have to be there. Whatever the medium of entertainment that you're going into is, it has certain logistics that it has to tackle first and foremost in order to even aspire to greatness in the first place. So for me, Uncharted, any of the four Uncharted games, 
can't even come close to being a great game because they don't get the fundamentals down correctly. If you're a football player, for example, and, you, and you're a wide receiver who doesn't know how to catch the ball, but you're fast as hell once you get it in your hands, you're still not going to be much use and, to anybody. You're not going to be in the NFL. <laughs> you're not going to be in the NFL, but let's say you somehow stumbled in yeah. there, right? You, you got some cool highlight reels and somebody thought you were a good-looking dude, so they decided to draft you, whatever. Um, yeah, you you can outrun every single person. You know, let's say that's your story or your presentation. You can outrun everybody once you get the ball in your hands. But you're such a butterfinger that you can't even catch the ball in the first place. So it's like, well, you're not going to score us any touchdowns because you're always going to be dropping passes. And yeah, well, consider consider that sometimes the good parts that something brings can outweigh the bad. So, for example, and we're going to keep going with this sports thing. I guess the Lions have a the Detroit Lions have a running back, uh, Amir Abdullah. He fumbles, like, all the goddamn time. Yeah. He just fumbles. It's, it's irritating, right? And it costs us turnovers, and it, it's bad. But it's worth it to have him on the squad because when he doesn't fumble, you know, he gets yards in it. You know what I mean? It weighs out his He's negatives, I guess. Yeah. But, see, I totally right. disagree with you there because um, let's say he scores 10 touchdowns. Let's say in one game he scores three touchdowns, right? But he fumbles twice, and on one of those fumbles, the team gets the ball and uh, – Scores. Takes the lead. Yeah. Well, let's just say they score a touchdown. Well, one of his touchdowns is taken away because it technically doesn't count. It's it's you know canceled out. But they're that, still winning. They're still winning. Well, that's besides. Let's get off yeah, of the exactly. football metaphor. Let's get off of the football metaphor. Yeah. I don't think no, I think that makes like a lot football. of sense for this particular uh, situation. Yeah. If he's constantly fumbling the ball, hell, I don't want him on my team because there's people that can score a lot of touchdowns that aren't constantly fumbling. So if we're... Yeah, we're, now if, it, it, if there's something that does both, obviously that's better. Yeah. Right, and I think that there are so many games out there, Dom, that it's almost, like I've mentioned before, I think it is kind of insulting to your CD Projekt Reds, to your uh, machine games, to your, um, your Studio Japan's Not Team Eco, um, to your Sony Santa Monica's, to your Sony Sucker Punches. Sucker Punch can do all of the stuff that Naughty Dog does. Now, the uh, story isn't as good, but the gameplay is way better. But the story is way better than Uncharted's gameplay, if that makes sense. You know, They still have all of the things, and they're still doing all of the things good. Whereas Uncharted's gameplay is sometimes dog shit bad, and sometimes it's totally serviceable. But that doesn't matter because of the times where it's so dog shit bad, drag it down. And when you talk about... Well, this is good, but this part's bad, and it balances out. For me, that that's not how I look at it, especially in video games. See, video games as a form of media entertainment are the culmination of visuals and of storytelling and of gameplay and of music. They have everything that you could think of in media and entertainment combined into one. And if any of those things are out of balance, then it really messes up that game being great. So... Um, there are so many choices, like I said, that are nailing everything. Witcher 3 nails gameplay, story, presentation, performance. It nails everything. So then when you say, oh, but this game has a great story but plays like shit, but it balances out. Um, I'm not trying to mock you. That kind of sounded like so, I was, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> but just to that point, it's like, well, there's plenty of other games that have great stories and are actually fun to fucking play. So think of it this way. Consider Telltale Games. Their gameplay is crap. Oh yeah, right? I mean it's, and it's those, quick time that events. Keeps it's those games from being great. So like, um, I came on the podcast and said that Game of Thrones is one of the best uh, 
video game stories I have ever played, if not the best, yet it looks so fucking terrible and it plays so roughly that that game is not great as a whole. That is not a great game. It's a a good game, in my opinion. You can't aspire, you can't get to greatness if you don't have all your ducks in a row, you know? You're not going to have a car that you think is, uh, like my Toyota Camry that's been running for like 17 years now, is a great car because it, it hits on all the cylinders, pun intended. You know, if if it was a car that was great, but, you know, after five years of owning the car, the radio just doesn't work anymore. Well, fuck that car. That's not a great car. It's just yeah. a decent car, you know? Um, you were going a little long, so I'll be quick on mine. Um, so the way I have it listed, and you're right, ours are different. Um, for me, top is 40%. I would give it to story. Uh, to me, I'm not a huge movie goer, so I love getting story through video games, and I think that's obviously been a lot easier of a thing to do over the last five to seven years in video games as we actually, you know, people have started caring about stories in video games. Um, second to me, thir- 35% would be gameplay. That's design, that's mechanics, that's fluidity, that's everything, obviously, with gameplay. Um, to me, personally, I've played... Uh, and the reason story is so important to me is I've played plenty of games that feel right and play right, and that's hitting on gameplay and performance, but I just don't care. If I wanted to do that, I'd play a mobile game, you know? Like, I need to have story there as well. And that's why story is so critical to me, and it's the number one most important thing in a video game to me. Um, and, you know, games that don't necessarily have a great story but have good gameplay and performance, those have their reasons too. Um, See, and that's why it was low on my end. I was going to ask you, like, about Spelunky. You love that game, right? And it doesn't yeah. have a story. No, it doesn't have a story, but the gameplay is so good it makes up for it. Um, so there are exceptions to this. This is a very generalized way of looking at how we uh, specifically like to enjoy games. Mm. So, yeah, 40% story, 35% gameplay, 25% um, performance. Do I want my games to run like garbage? No. But in the overall scheme of things, like you said, some of my favorite experiences of video games, the games didn't necessarily run fairly well. One of my favorite experiences this year, Fallout 4 game doesn't run necessarily entirely well, you know, on the console space, but I love Fallout 4. Um, you know, the Telltale games, they don't, don't run very well, but I love Walking Dead Season 1. Um, there's And this kind of goes to, like, movies in the sense of, like, there's plenty of movies that look very pretty, but are terrible movies. The Transformer movies, those are actually, like, to the eye, they're very great looking. They're very beautiful films. They're shot very beautifully, right? Just from an aesthetic point of view. But the movie is terrible. There's no story. The actual pacing of the movies, not all of that's awful. But the movie style looks over substance. Exactly. The movie looks pretty. Okay. Cool. Um, like one of my favorite movies I've seen this year is Room, and yeah. that movie doesn't necessarily look very. It's shot well, but it doesn't look very well. Like it's not shot on super high res cameras or anything. It takes place in a room, but the story is so enriching and so powerful. Um, so yeah. So I'm not gonna take too long on this. story, 35% gameplay, and uh, 25% uh, performance, I guess. So that's how I would see it. Um, Yeah. Anything else you want to close your topic off with, Dom, before we head out to the next one? No, I like it. I like the different different uh, pie charts we each gave. I was going to say, um, uh, just to reiterate one of my points, um, it's okay that Uncharted or The Last of Us doesn't have... uh, awesome gameplay but to me like i said it just can't be a great game unless it has um all that stuff unless it's like spelunky where it's saying look story isn't a thing in this game we're just going to focus on the gameplay and we're only going to do that if it had tried to do a story and then was like oh, shit God. then it'd yeah. be different you know i'd rather have no story than a poorly tried one it, exactly 100%. know what your strengths are you know exactly um 
So, last topic here, you want to talk about publishers, Jordan? Yeah, so mine kind of branches off of your topic. Uh, mine, the title, I guess, will be uh, Publishers' Relationship Relationships with Gamers. Um, specifically speaking on Mass Effect Andromeda, um, because I really feel like our, ch- our chain has gotten jerked quite a bit with this one. Um, and I realize the fact that this is probably not the way that they originally intended the game to roll out, since it's already been delayed. It was... We were supposed to be playing it right about now. Um, and I get that, you know, things change and you can't just, you know, it wasn't set in stone and so you can't crucify them over that. But at the same time, I think that it is um, completely disrespectful in some aspects. And I would say that Mass Effect Andromeda is a great example of that where, first of all, like I just mentioned earlier, you have a company saying all of these games will be out this year or next year. You didn't have to fucking say that in the first place. And second of all, the way that they give us this cinematic trailer, then a year later we still haven't seen gameplay and they give us a dev diary, then they come to the fucking PS Pro meeting and give us gameplay, but it's just walking through a corridor, turning on, uh, you know, pressing a button on this, uh, this map, this terminal thing, yeah, exactly, and then as soon as something starts to happen, as soon as they enter combat, they fade out. And I get that they're doing this whole in seven day coming up in November. It's Mass Effect Day, but the fact of the matter is, is you've now had three chances to show me why I should be excited for Mass Effect Andromeda, and you've only succeeded one of those times with the original cinematic trailer. Now that trailer left me wanting. I think they could have even done more with that. Um, it was a great trailer, but at the same time, you're losing me here. And I get a lot of people are here saying, I'm hearing a lot of people say that, um, well, it's Bioware Montreal, and, you know, they've got a great track record, and there's no way that this game's going to suck. And I agree with all those things, but, you know, first of all, it's Bioware Montreal, but it's also a lot younger people. Like, the, we've heard anecdotally that this is not a bunch of veterans. It may, there's plenty of veterans on the team, I'm sure, but there's not. it's not all the veterans that have gone through the entire dragon age and mass effect series now furthermore a lot of people you know don't like dragon age 2 very much at all a lot of people um don't like mass effect 3 and mass effect 1 um and uh piecing together with that i think that and i'm not saying that if mass effect had come out this year it would be a nine and since it's coming out next year it's going to be a seven but i definitely think there's a possibility where all this dilly-dallying that they're doing, all this screwing up that they're doing as far as the marketing speak, I think you're we're they're, we're running the risk of the game dropping from, yeah, maybe an 8.5 or a 9 down to you know, a 7.5. Maybe it's even better than that. Maybe it was going to be absolutely incredible masterpiece, and now it's just a really great game, and you're like, well, hey, it's a really great game, but this fucking around that they're doing, shooting themselves in the foot, I really hope that the game doesn't suffer. Um, more anecdotes that we've heard is the fact that there's some mismanagement going on at that studio. Of course, Casey Hudson, we know he didn't leave because of bad blood. He simply went down to Bioware Austin to work on uh, Star Wars uh, The Old Republic, maybe even a new Star Wars game, who knows. Um, but it's clear to me that there is mismanagement uh, going on. It seems both at Bioware Montreal and EA and... Um, you know, drawing it back to the title of the topic, I just don't think when we're paying for these people to make these games or to publish these games as gamers, 
I don't think that we should have to sit through this BS that they've been giving us for the past year and a half um, and just take it, you know, just kind of bend over and be okay with it. Yeah, it's okay, man. Just get out, get the game out whenever you can. There's something to be said for the fact that when someone comes out and says, this is when our game's going to come out, it, it should come out then, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, take it away, guys. Um, so, I think this kind of leads into the other conversation of, like, Fallout 4 being developed in a vacuum, but people still um, kind of really enjoyed the game, even though it still felt a little outdated. And I think yeah. it's because Bethesda does everything to be in the good graces of gamers. Um, they really know how to play their cards right. Sony, to me, is, I think, just there with Bioware. Like, I, I do I do see exactly what you're hitting on with Bioware. I completely agree that all those concerns are justified and everything. Sony's the same way. Like, if you look at Sony's conference, all of those exclusives, we might not... It was going to be Last Guardian Horizon Zero Dawn. Horizon right. Zero Dawn got pushed. Last Guardian And Gran Turismo Sport. Don't forget about yeah. that. Yeah, and, and uh, Last Guardian. So that means that you're probably not going to see... If, if Last Guardian gets delayed again, which it probably will... You're not going to see any of those games that they showed at their E3 conference this year. Um, a lot of the games that were announced, like Spider-Man and God of War and uh, Days Gone, a lot of people, you guys included, think that at least one of those games drops next year. I still highly doubt it. I said early on when that first conference happened, I don't see any of those games coming out next year. Sony mismanages stuff pretty heavily as well. We've seen that. A lot oh, of yeah. their games get delayed. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I... I, I I, I agree with you that I think publishers now you're seeing them retract and be like we need to make an announcement right before the game comes out because this isn't working. Um, Bioware I think definitely sees that they're a product of having a game announcement right before that Fallout 4 buzz hit and people are changing the way they look at games. You know, um, Horizon Zero Dawn even though it hasn't been around I think it's one year younger than Mass Effect Andromeda in terms of people knowing about it. But still, yeah. people were hyped about that game, and that game got delayed too. Like, that that game's not guilty. Like, it, it's also guilty of that. Um, yeah. It's coming, just like uh, Bioware Montreal is a studio of now of younger guns with some veteran leadership, but the other guys moved on to the new IP. Those guys haven't really made a standout game. The Killzone games have been, you know, good, but they haven't really ever captured the Call of Duty numbers or other, you know. It seemed oh, like even no, the new no, Wolfenstein no. had way more... Uh, way more um, excitement for it than any of the Killzones ever had. And I'm yeah. not saying those games are bad, it's just they haven't necessarily put all of their eggs in a basket and made that basket sell. Gorilla so, absolutely needs to prove themselves, I agree. Yeah, this game this game could kill Gorilla games if it's not good. I really sure. think that. Because sure. if they if they had them move away from Killzone, Sony I think was already like, hey, Killzone's not working, we need you guys to do something that's more profitable and we can expand on a global scale. And right. be bigger and better and bolder. And if this doesn't pay off, I don't know how that's going to turn out for them. So um, I just think publishers need to be more honest with gamers. I think that they need to uh, message themselves more. I really enjoy that Peter Moore has come out and talked a lot more. He's a lot more front-facing than he ever was for EA. And he's admitted a lot of mistakes. He was on an interview recently with Ryan McCaffrey. And he's talked about uh, a lot of this stuff. And, like, yeah, it's hard to hear from a, a business guy that they're for the gamers but if he sits there talking and he says stuff that really sounds genuine, you know, you kind of got to take him for his word, whether or not that's true or not. But, like, I do feel as if people are starting to realize that they need to be more front-facing. And I think it's on the duty of gamers, too, to not just bash devs. Like, yeah, Sean Murray messed up. Hello Games messed up. But also look at Sony. Like, yeah. you have to look at the publishers just as much. We said yeah. this in a, a couple of weeks ago. Sony is probably one of the most responsible people for the failure of No Man's Sky, if not the, the major. Yeah. yeah, so... Um, yeah, I just think publishers are learning that they need to be more front-facing. They need to be more um, understanding. 
and they just need to know what we expect as gamers. I think it's just companies not realizing what their community wants. I think it's just people being tone deaf. Uh, it reads exactly like the Microsoft Xbox One announcement conference. It reads exactly like the PS3 conference. It's just companies not understanding the audience and completely not knowing what they're supposed to say and completely screwing it up over and over again. So, so the, the problem with... Because you're absolutely right, pretty much everything you just said. The problem with it is, though, the disconnect between a publisher, yeah. a developer, and the gamer, right? Yeah. Most people don't know that EA publishes you know, XYZ games or that uh, Activision Blizzard publishes Call of Duty. They don't know that. They might see the logos and they might see uh, Infinity Ward or something. They don't know. They're just like, I had some of the people that made the game, I guess, right? Yeah. They don't connect um, that game to the other games that that publisher puts out, exactly. right? So if one publisher will say Sony consistently is delaying all their games and you don't ever see anything from them, um, then people aren't, don't necessarily make that same connection and bite them back with their wallet, right? They're like, well, it's, every game is kind of it's, and it's looked at by itself, exactly. by most people. Again, we're not most people. Yeah. Um, but most people that play games are kind of just like, yeah, it's a game, Call of Duty, like whatever. Yeah. They, For all they know, like... It could be made by the same team as Battlefield, like you know. Well, and uh, I mean, that's a stretch. But gamers know that Call of Duty games are made in the same thing. But I guarantee you, if you took just a normal, average Joe that plays video games, and you told him that um, Destiny is made by the same, uh, published by the same company that makes Call of Duty, they wouldn't. Yeah. They wouldn't know that. They'd have no idea. Exactly. Yeah. I bet you could find a thousand people on the internet in YouTube comments yelling at each other and screaming that Destiny is better than Call of Duty, and vice versa, and like this and that, and like they don't know, like you're saying that they're made by the same publisher and they don't care if you're you know what i'm saying yeah. it's no, not enough people make that connection so it's hard so publishers are never going to get the brunt of the blame like we're saying they should because of that but it's just the way it is Another, yeah. a good point that you made dom is the disconnect was the word that you used and i think that's a big point for this topic you know the publisher's relationship to gamers man i think we have uh the devs that are out there today are more connected to gamers than they ever have been. But I the publishers C are farther apart, I think. Exactly. So I think yeah. I think CD Projekt Red is a great example of that. On the other hand, I think, yeah, I think publishers have, have, well, maybe not never been more disconnected, but I think they are still way, way, way behind on what they think gamers want, what they think is right for gamers, what is the cool thing. I think that a lot of times when you have these Peter Moores or these executives from uh, these big publishers come out on stage, a lot of times it sounds like Grandpa talking about video games. Like, they have no idea what the fuck is going on. And I feel like the developers are clearly the ones that do. And I think publishers need to listen to developers more as opposed to vice versa because you'll make more money as a publisher if you know what you're doing and know what you're talking about and you don't sound like an idiot when you're talking about video games. I think that... So, I just think that a lot of these games getting delayed is really mismanagement on the publisher's part and not so much the you know creative director at so-and-so studio. So I just thought of a great example, right? Um, I bought a Dodge car. It sucks. I hate Dodge. I'm never buying another Dodge again. Screw them. I'm going to go buy a Chrysler. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's that's what it is. That's how I see it, I guess. Like, yeah. you don't you don't realize that it's the same. You, you might as well buy another Dodge. I don't, it's whatever. Yeah. Also, yeah. I think if you if you get 
a hundred publishers in a room or heads of, of publishing studios and you get a hundred game devs in a room and you say how many of you play video games i guarantee you'll have a way higher percentage with the game devs of people who yep. play video games than the yeah big boys at publishers that's that has to do with discount as well think about that's this, what i said a couple weeks ago we need more gamers like in the business in the, side in the business the side, industry. exactly so if you're talking let's just connect that to movies right and you get a uh, hundred filmmakers you know, of all different kinds, cinematographers and directors and producers and blah, blah, blah. And then you get a hundred movie executives. How many on the filmmaker side watch movies? A bunch. And how many on the executive side watch movies? A bunch. Because they're, everybody they're watches old. movies. Yeah. But that's not how know. it is with I'd, game publishers. I'd argue that, though, the, the movie execs don't care nearly as much about the quality as you know, the actual producers and directors with. I mean, they're like old white guys that are billionaires. They're just no, like, whatever, they, get it out, make money. They know what a movie is. They know what a movie should be. They know how a movie should be treated in marketing. They get that, you know? Cause yeah, everybody it's, it's a more movies. broad... Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so that was a good topic. We're going to be getting into uh, what we're going to be playing next week. I don't want to go too long because we're running a little long here. Um, uh, I've said I need to get into Quantum Break the last two weeks. I need to do that. I'm, li- I'm starting to sound like Jordan with Persona, so I need I need to get on playing Quantum Break. Uh, Final Station I need to get back to. The For Honor Alpha is definitely my main area of focus. I definitely want to get into that game because I'm super excited. I want to see how it plays and everything. Um, yeah, so that's it. What about you guys? So I've been reading... Uh, I've obviously been reading Invincible for a while, but I'm in the middle of the Viltrumite War, which is uh, takes place in the 70s, uh, the 70th issues, I guess you would say, and uh, that is one of the best comic book story arcs I've ever read, and um, just some incredible writing from Robert Kirkman. Um, so I'm super excited to continue with that. Kind of sad to see it leaving, but uh, loving Invincible, so I'm going to continue continue reading that um we'll see if i get around to a video game or two this week um who knows um it could happen i guess like kevin um, garnett said anything's possible yeah or like little dude in uh, angels in the outfield said it could happen exactly um and then besides that um like lloyd and dumb and dumber says so you're telling me there's a chance <laughs> exactly let's go. keep this that's, going that's three three great <laughs> examples for you um, besides that, I've also been watching, I've been watching a lot of anime recently. Um, shout out to anime. Um, and I'm watching this series right now called Bacano, which is Italian for ruckus. And, uh, Bacano is 16 episodes. I've already seen it before, so I'm rewatching it. Really like this show. And it's all about, uh, like 30s prohibition era. And it's like all these multiple perspectives, kind of like how Crash is, where, um, you have a bunch of different people that aren't related, and then they come together and kind of intersect with their storylines, and it's kind of how all of them, you know, how all that crazy stuff happens when they intersect. And so it's about this train going from Chicago to New York called the Flying Pussyfoot, and um, about all these random people and how they their storylines cross. So it's a very cool series. Dom? Honestly, I have no idea. Okay. I don't even know. <laughs> What I'm gonna play this? I I don't know. I want to finish. I want to finish reading the road from Cormac McCarthy. Ooh. I'm only got a couple pages, or not a couple pages. <laughs> chapters? Maybe like 50, 50 Yeah, a couple chapters. <laughs> I want to finish uh, it. Left. I almost got done, but I couldn't do those last two pages. Those last two pages. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um. I mean, that's the only thing that's on my mind that I really want to jump into. Otherwise, I'm in this weird limbo where I'm. Thinking I need to send my PS4 into Amazon while they're still offering 150 bucks, 
um, before my PS4 completely breaks. Um, but you don't want to be without. So it. I might, I might end up doing that this week and just be without a, a unit until November when the Pro gets here. But so your day one, still figuring you that out. Pre-ordered Pro, your day one, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, and then you so got gonna, your PC. You can play, you Sorry, play PC a... games until November, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. If I, I mean, and I still got the 3DS and Vita laying around, plenty to play there. So. You could play some Assassin's we'll Creed Three. Good thing you interrupted me because I was going to make a terrible Lorena Bobbitt joke. Oh God! Because he's without a unit. And anyways, uh, all right, uh, Dom. Let us know about that giveaway. Ah, that's right. So, controlled interest is giving away fifteen, yes, fifteen PC games, including the Calling, Road to Valhalla, Speedrunners, and more. It's one lucky follower, Twitter follower that is. So head over to our Twitter account, which is at ctrlint, and click the link in our pinned tweet to enter for your chance to win this. Big old bundle of PC games. So, also make sure you're following us too, That's, and yeah, make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube because we are inching closer to 50 subscribers. In order to enter the giveaway, they have to follow and they have to subscribe. That's part of the, actually the giveaway. So, um, okay. yep. thanks for listening and/or watching this episode of the Controlled Interest Gamecast. However, you take it in. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, like Jordan said. Uh, search Controlled Interest, and we'll pop up once we get a, a hundred subscribers. We'll get that custom URL. Uh, follow us on Twitter at CTRLINT. That's abbreviated for Controlled Interests. Uh, to stay updated with all of our latest uh, uploads and content and all that stuff, as well as video game news. Uh, you can also follow us at our personal Twitters. I'm at Jared with an underscore at the at end of it. Uh, Dom is at Dom's Oreos. Jordan's at Mellow Modus. Uh, also, if you can, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. If you were uh, subscribed to us before, uh, we had a change over the RSS feeds. So there was some confusion there, so just search Controlled Interest on iTunes and you can find the new RSS feed for our podcast. That'd be really awesome. Um, speaking of awesome, if you're awesome enough to already be doing all of those things, which is super cool, uh, feel free to share our videos and podcasts. Uh, the bigger we grow, the better our content can become, and in return, you guys get a better product from us and an experience. So uh, thanks, and we'll see you guys next week in episode 30. Bye.